0: And again, at dawn, he came into the temple, and all the people came to him, and having sat down, he was teaching them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman having been taken in adultery. And having set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was taken in the very act while committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us that such are to be stoned. Therefore, what do you say? But this they said, tempting him, so that they might have something with which to accuse him. But Jesus, after having stooped down, wrote on the ground with his finger. As they continued asking him, having stood up, he said to them, The sinless one among you, let him be first cast a stone. After having stooped down, he wrote again on the ground. But having heard and being convicted by conscience, they each went out one by one, beginning with the elders until the very last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing in the midst. And having stood back up, having seen no one but the woman, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Did no one condemn you? The woman said, no one, sir. So Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Therefore, again, Jesus spoke to the people saying, I am the light of the world. Those following me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. Let's pray for a moment. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and to proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. If I've said it once, I've said it probably a thousand times, if not more. I absolutely love John's account of the Gospel. As a, um, as someone who loves history, and as someone who... I I see in John such beauty, I see in John such, uh, such a poetic sense of how he presents his narrative. John, as we looked at last week, he begins his gospel in a different way, he lays out his case in a different way, and all that he's saying, all that he's structuring together in this story of the life of Christ is done so that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing that He is the Son of God, the Messiah, who's come to redeem us, that we might have life in His name. John has a very purposed plot. The way he structures the details of his narrative are leading us to what he gives to us in the conclusion. His motive, life. By believing in the Son of Jesus, or by believing in Jesus, the Son of God. He lays out that prologue in his introduction. And in that prologue, he gives a disclaimer. And the disclaimer is fascinating. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But those who received him he gave the right, the authority become children of God. In the chapter that the body of John's gospel we have quite a bit of content. In that content you find various themes light and life. You find Light, darkness. You find all these questions about who is this man Jesus. You find a number of people who, who uh, typify for us what John said about his own not receiving him. You find his family rejected him. You find the authorities, of course, rejected him. A number of people are spoken of in John's account of the gospel as having rejected Christ. And yet, you also find thrown into the mix a list of characters who did receive him, a list of characters who came to him, all under different circumstances, all with different things going on in their lives. Many of them being uh, in shocking circumstances. But you have this play of rejection and reception that John is laying out for us. Those who received Christ, you could easily say are a very Say, an odd assortment of folks. You have a Pharisee, Nicodemus. Wait a minute. I thought the Pharisees were against Jesus. Nicodemus is the one that came to Jesus under the dark of night. Teacher, I have some questions. And it's Nicodemus who then, at the end, after Jesus had died, who's there with Joseph of Arimathea, taking Jesus' body off their cross and burying it. You have a Samaritan woman. Someone with whom the Jews would have no interaction. Someone, A sellout. An unfaithful Jew. Someone who, had, who was the offspring of those who had intermarried with others religions cultures and Jesus speaks life into her life. In fact, we're told she goes back to her village and you gotta meet this guy. I think I found the Messiah. He's been able to tell me everything about myself. Things He shouldn't have known that many in the village received Christ. We're told of a a court official who travels some distance from Capernaum to come and meet with Jesus as he arrives again at Cana of Galilee. His son was sick. This man comes in such faith that he doesn't bring his son. He comes in his son's behalf, Lord. My son needs a touch. A diseased beggar. One of the forgotten ones. One of the countless folks in need. And Jesus steps into his life, and this man's life is changed forever. All of these build up to this chapter 8. Jesus is in the temple, he's teaching, people have gathered around him. And picture this in walks the powers that be, dragging a woman, probably half-dressed, throws her down in front of Jesus. We caught this woman in the very act of adultery. We're told to stone her. What are you going to do? I can't imagine the ruckus that that scene must have been. It, it's, it's absolutely fascinating, Jesus' response.
1: Imagine it. What are you doing? Jesus, very coolly and calmly,
0: stoops down and starts drawing in the dirt. Perhaps collecting his thoughts. Perhaps just taking in the situation for a moment. I think Jesus is kind of setting up the opportunity for drama with these scribes and Pharisees. We find that Jesus is quite cool under pressure. He's not shaken He's not appalled. He's not taken aback. He's very cool. He keeps himself together. Despite the disruption that this was, he's sitting there teaching. The crowds are gathering around him in the temple. And he there's this awkward, awkward disruption. And despite that disruption, Jesus remains cool and collected. Despite the obvious discomfort of the situation, after all, this lady was caught in the very act of adultery, they say. She's thrown down right there in the midst of the crowd. And yet Jesus he's not shocked and awed. He doesn't respond. What are, what are you thinking? He keeps it together. He stoops down. Starts drawing or writing in the dirt. He sees this is an opportunity. An opportunity to make a point, perhaps. An opportunity to recalibrate some thinking, perhaps. But most especially as an opportunity for grace. For God to do something. For God to to breathe life into a situation I'm I'm uh, I'm convinced that Jesus is pro- would probably be one of the most uncomfortable people to be around but at the same time he'd probably be one of the most awesome people to be around You've got that, that conundrum. <laughs> I think the same way about John Wesley, I'll be honest with you. Uh, he'd probably drive me nuts, but um, he's also someone I'd really like to meet. But Jesus, here in this situation, has to be an intimidating figure to be around. Especially for those who are convinced that he is the Messiah and yet his ability to handle the most
1: uncomfortable, the most awkward of situations. No need to panic. No need to fly off the handle.
0: No need to flip over the tables and throw out the you know, bird cages and all that like uh, like what happened at another time. Keep it together. Jesus is not only cool under under pressure. One of the amazing things to me is that Jesus defaults toward mercy. Aren't you thankful that God always defaults toward mercy? In your life, in mine, in the life of the world, God wants so badly to show mercy. That's his default setting. Think of it. Despite the categorical sin that this woman's been caught in, there's no denying it. She doesn't make any... This isn't what it seems like. But I can explain. This is categorical sin. And Jesus defaults toward mercy. Mercy. It's, it's amazing the, uh, his response to the societal pressure. Everybody's expecting him to say, Well, yeah,
1: follow the prescription. Let's kill her. Everyone's expecting
0: him not to show mercy, but to give this woman her just punishment. Jesus' response is uh, amazing. How about this, guys? I've got an idea. The, the, the one among you that doesn't have any sin, how about he goes first? There's a, there's a bit of humor and, and irony in that. And then he continues on as he was doing. Kneels back down. Starts doodling in the dirt. I imagine everything kind of fell quiet. Again, things got a bit awkward. The elders, the Greek word is the presbyters. These are the big dogs, they're the first to leave. They just walk away. One by one, everyone else who'd come with them, they just walk away. The text tells us that the woman's still there and Jesus stands back up. Huh, oh, it's just you and me. What happened here? No one no one chose to condemn you? No one, sir. Neither do I go and sin no more. It's um it's amazing how personally sins of others. How personally offended we get by sins that others commit. Sins that in most circumstances don't have anything to do with us. And we feel personally affronted by their sins. The reason why the um, scribes and Pharisees elsewhere got so angry at Jesus and called him a is because Jesus said, I forgive you your sins. The only one who can forgive sins is the one who's been sinned against. Jesus, in saying that He forgives sins, is claiming to be the one
1: who's been sinned against. The authorities knew what that meant. He's claiming to be the one ultimately against whom we've sinned.
0: So when this woman caught in the midst of adultery is brought before Jesus, we understand that if He is indeed who He claims to be,
1: and He is, And yet he defaults toward mercy.
0: If Jesus doesn't take up stones. And cast them on an adulterer. Why would we be so gravely and personally offended by the sins of others? Our default
1: should be toward mercy. Because it's in showing mercy. Jesus doesn't show mercy just because, well,
0: he's, you know, he'd rather do something else. He sees in this circumstance. He sees in this life an opportunity to heal. Hence his command to her, go and sin no more. What's he telling her? Go and be healed. Go and walk in a different way. Go and abandon this life. Go and sin no more. He defaults toward mercy. And she finds in His mercy healing. Restoration, redemption, wholeness. Jesus defaults toward mercy and preserves for healing. But Jesus, this isn't popular. Jesus expects everything. Yo, know, we uh we so so easily and so tritely say, well, don't expect much from me. I'm just a mere mortal, right? Next time you think you're perfect, try walking on water. I hope none of you guys have any bumper stickers on the back of your vehicle. If so, I'm going to have to apologize afterwards.
1: <laughs> Wait.
0: You know, far be it from us to ever say, Follow me. Right? Because I'm just a sinner saved by grace. The problem with that is Paul in the New Testament said, You want to follow Jesus? Okay, follow me because I'm following him.
1: And here Jesus tells an adulterous woman, Caught, Go, and not try to do better. Not go
0: and do your best. Not go and at least pull back the sin a little bit. Go and sin no more. He then turns to the crowd. I don't know I don't know if the woman is still in there. If she's leaving, she's probably still within earshot. But he tells the crowd, forgot the crowd was there, right? he had been teaching them when all this transpired. He to the crowd and he says I am the light of the world and if anyone wants to follow me he'd better not be walking in darkness. Because he has the light of life. Jesus' expectations of you They might to us seem insurmountable. They might to us seem impossible.
1: But they're... Despite the difficulty. Lord, what
0: do you mean sin no more? That's impossible. Go and sin no more. Jesus is the... um, the counselor from that Mad TV skit stop it what do you mean stop it just
1: stop don't do that but Lord it, how can I do that
0: stop just stop Again, he's speaking to a woman not who just told a little white lie, not someone who, you know, happened to do something else that we might excuse. Despite history, you don't understand. I've got these habits. Lord, you don't understand I've, I've become this. Stop. Stop walking in darkness. Embrace the light of life that you've been given. Sin no more. Despite fancy. You you know that word doesn't just mean something that's elegant. Despite your fancy. Despite what it is you thought you were getting yourself into when you came to Christ. Because it, it, the amazing thing is he turns back to the crowd. I'm thinking the crowd is probably... They, we've forgotten they're there as we're reading the text. Admit it if you have. They probably
1: are thankful. At least I'm not that. Yee. Then Jesus turned toward, turns toward them. You think you want to follow me?
0: You can't walk in darkness and follow me. I'm not looking for fans. I'm not looking for a crowd. I'm not looking for some cheerleaders. I'm not looking for someone just to casually, you know,
1: keep a distance behind me and keep up and do whatever He fancies in following me. If you want to follow me, quit walking in darkness.
0: If you have the light of life, Jesus expects everything. I like thinking of it this way. Jesus doesn't expect much. He doesn't want
1: much. He just wants you. Of me. The light of life.
0: An opportunity for God's grace to get into our lives. So much so that He can heal us. And so much so that He can transform us. Jesus offers this lady not just
1: mere forgiveness. He offers this lady healing. He sees in her not an adulteress.
0: Not an unfaithful woman. He sees in her not... Someone who, who can't stop falling. He sees in her someone redeemed and transformed. He sees someone who's been put back together. If she would but take him
1: seriously and go and sin no more. And he wants through us
0: to find opportunity also to pour His grace into the lives of others. It's um, people whose lives are broken, people whose lives are spinning out of control, people whose lives
1: are falling apart, They see the grace of God not just by
0: seeing a Bible verse on a church marquee somewhere. Not just by passing by a Christian bookstore on the corner of the street. They see the grace of God
1: in you. As you show mercy. That's the fascinating thing about what Jesus told his disciples. Again, in John, at the end, when uh, Jesus
0: was resurrected, he told those disciples who were in the room, he said, Those whom you forgive, they'll be forgiven. And those whom you don't forgive, they won't be forgiven. And we were like, whoa, what in the world does that mean?
1: I'm not saying this is all of what Jesus is implying there, but he certainly into the lives of others.
0: You want someone to realize that they're loved? Love them. Not just in word, but in deed. You want someone to have wholeness in their lives? Treat them with dignity. Show them mercy and love. On the back of your communication cards and on the back of your bulletins, there are places of response. Please hang on to your bulletin. Please drop off your communication card in the offering plate at the back of the sanctuary.
1: And I'm wondering this morning as is, is we see the opportunity for healing and the opportunity for transformation
0: in Jesus' interaction here in this text. I'm wondering if there'd be some of us who would say that we need to pray for God's grace and healing and transformation in our own lives. If so, please respond accordingly.
1: Perhaps enough, and He's put somebody in your heart.
0: And in your mind, you need to show that person the mercy of God. You might be an opportunity for healing for them. If God has brought someone's face or someone's name to your mind, someone in need of His mercy,
1: please, please, I think all of us together could resolve to become
0: more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Lord, use me. Help me to see how I might be used
1: in the lives of others.
0: As the band comes to play, our our altar is always open if you'd like to come and kneel and pray. Um, But please pray with me for God's Spirit to minister to us and help us to recognize the step that we need to take in our own lives. Let's pray.